and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sammy Roberts, and I'm joined by Andy Kelly. Chris Thurston. Special guest, Chris Thurston. And also for the very last time, Chris Thurston. <laughs> it really felt like you were shouting at me then, Sam. Yeah, sorry, I just uh, I mean I'm not I'm not really in a in, in a podcasting mood today, but I thought I'd just <laughs> That's give a good it, way to a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd just give it some, you know, Why to, are it, we here? to to build the illusion that I do care. It's and good. that I'm <laughs> No, I'm only joking. Um, we have a bunch of games to talk about today, um, primarily ones that Andy's been playing. Um, because that's the sort of thing that he does, play computer games, but also uh, one that Chris has been playing and reviewed for us. Uh, I'll get straight into it then. One, The first one we're going to talk about is Torment, uh, Tides of Numenera. Have I got that right? In the yes. right order? Uh, the spiritual successor to Planescape Torment, um, but based on a different uh, fiction. Is that right? Yep, different pen and paper setting. And uh, both of you guys have been playing it. And uh, Andy, I think you called it your favourite game of the year so far. Yeah. And um, Chris, you gave it a very high score as well. Yep. And I heard you in a meeting the other day saying it was better than Pillars of Eternity. Um, I, I, you may not have did wanted, I say that? You may not have wanted to disclose that publicly, um, in which case I... I, <laughs> I like it more than Pillars of Eternity. I think Pillars of Eternity is an excellent game, so that shouldn't go. That shouldn't be taken as a slight on Pillars, mm. um, just in case the angry Pillars community uh, wants to hunt me down. Uh, well, you suddenly look very nervous. I mean, well, I mean, it's going to be know, okay, Chris. Uh, you know, I'm sure it will be. I mean, but, you know, passionate. it's a passionate community. People like their games, as I'm discovering. But, yeah, no, I think it's great. Andy, I mean, you, you're a big Pillars fan. How have you found it by comparison? Yeah, I, I reviewed Pillars for us and gave it 90-something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's... I don't know, like, it's hard to compare them because they are, despite sharing a lot of similarities and similar roots, quite different. But um, I, I think maybe I prefer Pillars a bit more because it is slightly more guided in the sense that um, Numenera's, um doesn't really have, like, a big bad guy and a yeah. really driving... Uh, thing to do it's more about self-discovery than sort of saving the world or saving a, a country from, yeah, yeah. from a blight or whatever and um, i kind of i maybe i prefer pillars being a bit more guided but i also think planes um planescape um it's not planescape it's no Monera. yeah it's um weirder and more in the settings more interesting mm. it doesn't rely as heavily on fantasy tropes it's totally mental set a billion years in the future um, it's, all, it's sort of said a bit medieval, a bit sci-fi, and it's like completely unlike anything I've played uh, in terms of RPG settings. Mm. So I guess like, uh, what is the kind of premise then in terms of who you play as and, and what's going on in the world? So, um, so in uh, Torment: Titan of Era, you are uh, a character called the Last Cast Off, um, who is sort of fits in some senses the RPG notion of the kind of person who wakes up and doesn't know who they are and has to discover who they are by going and helping people and doing quests and things um, but it's a very different approach to that because uh, as a, what it means to be a cast off is that you are a kind of like a consciousness that has come into being in a body that's just been abandoned by someone else um, this sort of sort of enigmatic character called the changing god that moves between bodies over the course of centuries um, so it's not like you've forgotten who you were even though your body has a history and you have a kind of connect, you have a history connected to this other character. You yourself are completely new at the beginning of the game, and the game even begins with your death, basically, and then rebirth as you kind of start to learn who you are within this world that is, as Andy says, Earth a billion years in the future. Uh, it's called the Ninth World, but there's actually no real reason for the number nine ever given. It's just that it's essentially a civilization, a newish civilization that's built on the bones of a billion years worth of technological um, advancement and collapse um, from innumerable different civilizations, not all of whom were human. Um, and so every sort of 
even though yeah it's, it's sort of medieval every kind of every grain of sand has some sci-fi imbued in it everything's an anime machine everything yeah, is a like, trans-dimensional artifact everything is a time machine etc but everyone's everyone's lost the manual for all these amazing yeah. technologies so there's like machines that can probably do incredible things but no one knows what they are or how to work them yeah. and there's people who you know whose role in that world is they study them and try and unlock their secrets and you can do that as well. Like you'll find bizarre devices and have weird floating crystals, and you'll use your skills to um, try and like figure out what they do. And sometimes they can do terrible things, like just suddenly kill you. Or yeah. Sometimes they can heal you or reveal an amazing story or grant you some weird power or whatever. Uh, but that—that's what's really cool about it is that there's just stuff everywhere to click on, and it, you know, brings up a well-written little mini story you know where it tells you that you have visions of the history of this weird object and that, one of the yeah. things that's really rad about the way the world is set up is even though it is about you know numenera what that refers to is any of that technology numenera is just the word for this this tech these artifacts whatever they are but no one, like even when people figure out what things can do the answer the question what is this stuff actually for is is very rarely if ever answered so, and that's really from a, just a sci-fi point of view, from an atmospheric point of view, it's really nice that you find your own sort of you find your own uses for things. But something that you might be lobbing at someone as a grenade, that might not be what it's intended for. It just yeah. happens to blow up if you chuck it, which is probably true of a lot of things. And an early example of this, this isn't really a spoiler, is when you're in the city that the game begins in Sega's Cliffs, you might find you'll find the this sort of sort of scientist temple laboratory thing, which is built into this sort of like domed building, like kind of the top of the domed building in the upper part of the city. And inside, it's all the sort of control panels and all this kind of glittering technology that you don't know what it does. And if you go down to the bottom of the city, uh, the roots, the very foundations of that building are being used to power a forge. Like these kind of, you know, this sort of busy, sort of futuristic medieval forges. And it's because it's a spaceship. It's because it's a spaceship trapped in the city. And the bottom is the engines, which is which are being used as forges. And the up, the, the top is the command deck. That yeah, like districts using. of the city are like previously were other things. Like yeah, they've yeah. just been sort of carved into and turned like there's a sort of the seedy underbelly of the city which is called the underbelly yeah handle enough yeah is where this big forge is and yeah like you get the sense that it's like it's like the most retrofitted like setting yeah. i can think of where you just feel like it's been a million things piled on top of a million other things and the result was some very weird art direction yeah indeed and like but and a lot of this stuff is never like crucial to the plot it just makes for kind of it's it's the kind of thing that you'll really enjoy if you like those moments of discovery where you twig what something actually is but the characters in the setting don't have the knowledge necessarily to know what something is like I play a lot of the pen and paper game, or used to particularly, and one of the reasons they explicitly designed it that way um, was so that the fiction could kind of go places that medieval fantasy can't usually go, or goes anywhere without being able to explain it. So it's why it allows them to do medieval fantasy that touches on quite modern ideas, or kind of um, uses magic in kind of more interesting ways. Um, where nothing can be anachronistic, kind of everything has already happened in this fantasy world that's only just sort of ticked back to medieval. It's great. It really is one of the coolest settings. Yeah, like, I mean, you'll be, you know, you can equip your character with a heavy battle axe, but, you know, you'll be fighting in, like, yeah, the remains of a some unknowable machine from a billion, yeah, from <laughs> half a billion years previous, which is, like, a weird contrast, but works in a weird way. You do feel like, yeah, like, the, the civilization that's emerged here is way more primitive than the surroundings, and I really like that contrast, where you've got people, like, you know, living yeah. um, meager lives some, uh, surrounded by things that, if they knew how it worked, could you know 
send them forward a generation. And yeah, yeah. And, the, and the fact that these worlds have ended isn't the point. It's just the background, right? It's like it's not about how the world happened to be in this state, or how yeah. it come to be in this state, because it's got a billion years of history and it's far more than you could ever possibly tell. It's just it just is. I think that's it tries though real hard to t- to, f- to tell you at least a, a fraction of not that really, billion. but like it tells you like okay, well this might be like two hundred years in the life of this city, yeah. But it was also kind of clear that's a drop in the ocean compared to everything yeah. else that's going. Yeah, obviously what it tells you is a tiny percentage, but it does give you a lot of. I mean, you can find out about Sigus Cliffs is like several generations of its history um like you find out about wars and stuff before that and yeah, buildings that used to be there that aren't there anymore and stuff you do you can yeah, really that is true dig into the the history of of the city but yeah like you said it is a, a tiny yeah fraction so, like, the, i mean the, the way that story history. the way that story is delivered and probably this is the thing you have to kind of put in front of people before you tell them to play the game is all of that stuff is delivered through text right you know it's it is there's a limited amount of looking at stuff on the pre-rendered isometric environments that you're running around and a absolute shitload of reading and that's great because the writing is very very good um across the board very consistently good yeah uh, both in terms of character writing but also just great little sci-fi short stories and 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 things that are all buried away inside item descriptions and all that stuff but you got to sit down prepared to actually read you can't do the you can't do the RPG thing of I know where this quest is going, so I'm just going to skip this. It's a less, it's less of a kind of gamey experience in that regard than something like Pillars or even something like The Witcher, where you know enough about how those settings work that obviously you should not really skip the dialogue in those games either. But there's a, there's a lot to there's there's a lot of traditional fantasy ideas that you can kind of lean on, give you a little foundation to build your kind of game out of, whereas this, everything is fucking weird, and if you're not paying attention you'll miss something important. It's good that they acknowledge that by having the option to have a character repeat everything they tell you, you can go, what was that about the floating crystal again? Yeah. Or what was that about so-and-so again? Like, they know that you're gonna, like, occasionally your mind drifts and you, like, click through a bit of text and without really absorbing it, and you go, oh, shit, I need to know what that floating crystal is, and you'll you can ask them again, which I like as many times as you like, because mm. there's tons to. And the journal doesn't really. I would have liked some sort of uh, codex that stored like terms, so I could refer back to. Yeah, stuff glossary like that. would be. Yeah, useful. glossary or something like. Or yeah, like it has a journal which does up, update a hell of a lot, so much so that you would go back to the journal and see that there was ten updates for a quest that you didn't even see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because trying to keep track of all the different things that your yeah. decisions are affecting, and you even get you you for completed quests, the journal will be updated. Like you get information that you could have used for the quest, and it will still sort of tell you that you're yeah, yeah. And that's that that's worth like pointing out. Like you know, you like you're right to point out the pillars has a much much clearer sense of the stakes and who the villain is and all you know what you know why you're important whereas Numenera is both very very dense with reading and very very dense with ideas and very light on traditional like fantasy spurs to action it doesn't really care about that and um it gets there in its own time but it's not it's not interested in it's really disinterested in cliche like you can tell they don't want a cackling villain to burn down your village at the beginning they don't want to show you a bad guy. They don't want there to be something as simplistic as a bad guy. Mm. They want to, you know, they want everything to be ambiguous. And that's, I, I love that, but I think that's quite hard going in some ways. It's, yeah. you know, it's not, uh, you know, Mass Effect is coming out next month and that is going to be a game that you can relax into knowing that the bloke, with the alien bloke with the booming voice who appears out of the fucking labyrinth of skulls is probably the bad guy. Mm. You know, and this isn't that game. This is a, you know, a far more thought provoking thing, but also a harder going thing. So I, I was kind of interested. One thing you said in your review, Chris, is uh, kind of like um, uh, Planescape Torment is a bit less 
text involved than uh, sorry no a bit less fighting involved if you yeah. want it to be than than there typically would be from an RPG. Like I think so. Thinking about it, I, I stopped keeping track after a while. I think in my first thirty hours of the game, I took I killed nobody, took violent action against things, not people, twice, and entered. There is a turn-based system for. It's worth explaining for not really fights, but kind of dangerous situations. Hmm. Um, crises. Crises, they're called yeah. in the game. And that happened four times in 30 hours. Wow. Like, yeah. it, like, it is not a fighting RPG. It hits you with one in like the first hour, yeah. or even the first half hour. Um, just as bad, it's kind of a tutorial. Just to teach you it, yeah. yeah. And it, it shows you that um, it explicitly says you don't have to fight this guy. You can go up and try and talk to him, or you can uh, use these light bridge things to. Yeah. Or, or like this weird thing shooting oil. Yeah, that, I mean that first encounter actually branches in quite a lot of quite interesting ways yeah. based on who you do get to do things, what you do, what you say. Like, um, you know, a good example is you've, you've, yeah, you have these crises where the game does become turn-based and you do get access to combat skills if you've chosen to pick them up and if that's important to you. However, you might be spending your action points in that turn-based context putting out fires or breaking down barricades or... Accessing a computer, yeah, yeah, hacking machines or talking to people. Mm. It's much more like the pen and paper game in that way. In that, if you want to, if you don't, if it doesn't, when you when when it says crisis, it doesn't mean fight, and it's deliberately not worded that way. It's not a game about fighting, and for that reason, like it's not the game you play. If what you enjoyed about Pillars or Baldur's Gate or any of those games was leveling up your characters and planning your formations for party strategy and bottlenecking goblins in the doorway of a dungeon Mm. so that you can kill them efficiently. Uh, if, if that's what you enjoy about RPGs, it's not your game, right? Like, it is um, it is for people who want to read and do the story stuff. That's actually what I found the most exciting about it, to be honest, in terms of... I mean, yeah, I think there's more than enough of that going around and combat being a fundamental of RPGs. I don't know, that's just... I guess it's an, it's an inherently easy thing to design into a game where you need to have some kind of interesting interaction, but mm. the fact it's all about story, but it's so long, yeah, and uh, and the setting is so different to anything else in other games. That's I mean, there's nothing else really around like it. I mean, probably one of the best examples of how little the game cares about combat, really. Um, I mean, it's unfair because it does have a combat system. It has those those things. Is a lot of the fights, particularly if you're in a city and a fight breaks out, happen through text not through the combat system. Like, crises are a really specific thing that happen at certain points, or, or can happen at certain points. Um, if you get, like, confronted in the street by a thug and you have the option to attack him, that doesn't then, like, switch into combat mode. That will then use the same skill system to resolve the outcomes of text decisions you're making, and then you'll read a descriptive passage about your character flipping around and driving a dagger through his throat or something mm. like that. And that's real interesting because that shows complete, you know, that shows a lack of interest in the game being about gear. Even though there is gear and armor and things, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, it's more about it's more about your choices. It's more about what the the feel of it and the atmosphere of it and and the story than it is about any of those traditional mechanical RPG things. Hmm, interesting. Andy, have you is is your experience been any more combat oriented than that? No, I think I learned the hard way this a bit early on where you. I found myself fighting through quite insurmountable odds of these like flying drone things, and I was really getting my ass handed to me. And I was doing that Baldur's Gate thing of um, killing a room of them, saving, inching forward, killing another room. And I was I got to a point where I just didn't have enough health items or whatever to do. And then I realised that I was just ignoring the environment. And uh, there's a computer I found, you know, in a, in a 
uh, antechamber that I could use to disable the things instead of fighting them. And it was that was a good lesson because that from that point on, every crisis now I look for a you know a, a way out that doesn't involve fighting because I'm not really interested in pl in the combat. So mm. and it's good that it's never fully forced me into it. I think some guys started on me in the Valley of uh, Dead Heroes. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And um, I, I was forced to thrash them. But <laughs> I just I just let myself have that moment of just yeah, yeah. killing some dudes. And their bodies are still lying there. And I just keep seeing them and saying, I bet that was like a massive quest line I've just shut off. Yeah, yeah. But he was being rude to me. It was one of them cultists. Yeah, There's like a really, it's a cult of absolute dickheads. That <laughs> so you can, um, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, what I mean, Chris Avalon came out with that one. Yeah, their, their deal is actually kind of interesting. Um, but again, everything in that game is so shades of grey. Yeah. It's like, and the, the amount of weird stuff you'll do, like you'll, um, you know, you'll you'll talk to, um, you'll help a robot have babies. You'll, um, if you want to, you don't have to, but no. you can. You'll uh, solve. You'll uh, investigate a serial killing. In the this, in the underbelly, and, and if you if you every day that you sleep while the killer's on the loose, another NPC dies, and I, I didn't catch the killer till like seven six people or something died in the yeah. underbelly, <laughs> like characters that I quite liked speaking to, you know. So there's like this cool and that can lock off stuff. Like yeah, it, it's not one of those games where those NPCs are just in their own box waiting to be part of that quest. Yeah, they are part of other things, and if you fuck up, then you fuck yeah, up. Yeah, like, like if the serial killer escapes, you will encounter them later. Um, and that's the consequence if you're not catching them. Um, wow. So, which is cool. Yeah, there's lots of stuff like that. There's um, Yeah, long-reaching consequences where some, a decision you made 10 hours earlier will come and bite you in the ass or help you. Yeah. And there's a there's a crisis where a character was helped me, um, basically became a party member because I'd 10 hours earlier said something to them specifically. So that it's cool that it... The choices you make do have some impact and quite a long way down the line as well. Yeah, they do. I think that one of the things that helps it do is because there's a lot of there are a lot of passing skill checks to do persuasion and things, and it is a game that has interesting consequences for failing as well as succeeding. So, my recommendation would be do the hardcore role playing thing. Don't try and game it. Live <laughs> at your decisions. See what happens. Mm -hmm. But one of the nice things about having those like really intricately designed consequences that echo quite far down into the game is it gets you out of the quick loading mindset because you're not going to quickly 10 hours to redo the conversation that just ha has just turned out to be important. So it takes maybe maybe get takes a, a little bit of getting out of the mindset of this game is there for me to win as opposed to yeah. this game is there for me to experience. I mean the devs did even say that failing checks where it's a skill you know a skill check or whatever will um, sometimes have more interesting outcomes than if you passed it. So they yeah. actively encourage you to you know, not to go, oh, I failed that skill check, I'll just reload and try it again. So that's that's cool that I have had some quests going in interesting directions for failing to persuade someone to do something, uh, something like that. Yeah, it's been interesting having those conversations in the office as people get to different points in the game about, like, how different it's ended up for different people mm -hmm. and kind of how it's shaping out, which is which is the promise of a game like that, right? Is what you should be doing. You can do some really quite dark stuff as well. I mean, yeah. you, my, my current... The, the tide is, like, instead of a... Uh, great you know a black and white morality system is a thing called the tides where these there's five tides that yeah. shift depending on decisions you make so it's like a more complex morality system basically but my dominant tide at the moment is gold because mm -hmm. i've been doing a lot of altruistic nice goody two-shoes stuff and i'm i want to try and shift that to something more interesting because i feel like i'm playing it as like i'm being a bit too heroic i would tell you this one of the most interesting conversations i've had in the game because my character is also gold aligned is someone who completely takes down the concept that you're a good guy in that context. Mm. Like, or at least gives you something to think about. Where yeah. It's, it's, it's clever enough to, 
you know, it's not it's not the game where selflessness and altruism is just, you know, the purely correct way that will get you the perfect ending. It has none of those tides are the, the good tide. Yeah. They're just ideas. Like Indigo's kind of like chaotic good, where you'll like make sort of rash decisions, but that Indigo is justice and equality. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. but I, I I felt like Indigo shifts whenever I do something that's a bit like not as purely good natured as a, as a gold. Sort it's of like decision. Go, so um, the best way of thinking about it is um, like Indigo is like traditional like eye for an eye justice. Yeah, it's about it, it's equality in that sense, whereas gold is turning the other cheek. Yeah, and those two ideas are sometimes complementary to each other and sometimes fight each other, and that's one of the that's one of the interesting things about it is like. It, it makes you think about stuff at that level, and I think yeah. I probably said this in the review and in other contexts. But like, if 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 unpicking those kinds of philosophical ideas aren't isn't interesting to you, don't play this game because mm. that is what it is about, really. Cool. Well, sounds uh, self like a self assured game. It knows what it's about. Yeah, doesn't really care if you don't get it. But yeah, know, for the people who who uh, love playing Escape Torment, it's absolutely what. They, they wanted essentially yeah. which was the promise of the Kickstarter and I never really played Planescape actually um, and what it reminded me most of was Baldur's Gate 2 when you escape from that first dungeon and you an Athcatler a totally foreign city and it feels massive and terrifying you don't know what's going on it evoked that really strongly for me when you mm. start on Sega's Cliffs and mm. you just got this massive world stretching out full of possibilities so even if you didn't play Planescape but you're familiar with Baldur's Gate 2 as I was you will still get a similar feeling to that what if you've never played any of those games and you're you're coming to it yeah, fresh? That's interesting. I, I don't know. I think I think there are things that will be easier and things that will be harder. So I think if you haven't played loads of those games, you won't have a lot of the preconceptions that actually hurt this about what it should contain or, or what what your priorities should be. Mm. Um, I do think shaking off some of those old, tr- deeply trained RPG instincts is worth it to get the best experience. Um, there are obviously things about the presentation, like it. It's all done with like pre-rendered backdrops with 3D figures running around on top of them like like pillars. But the, I think the, there are parts of it that look great and there are parts of the art direction that really work, uh, particularly because the setting is so unusual. But like the weakness of the game, the reason I gave it an 89 rather than you know venturing into the 90 territory, even though I, I, so this is the interesting thing about agreeing, I agree with your score for pillars, even though I prefer this game and gave it a lower score. And the reason for that is like, there are moments where it looks a bit dated. Yeah, there's one zone in particular that looks like really, really naff. <laughs> it looks, yeah, it looks super nineties and the, not on a, a nostalgic way, and just a. So yeah. it looks like someone has set a game inside the kind of M- FMV you got in the nineties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if you look at the actual like opening sequence of Planescape Torment, not not what the game actually looked like, but what like yeah. what those that particular kind of rendering looked like in the nineties. Yeah, there are parts of it that look a lot like that, and so that is, I mean, a successful evocation of the era that it's paying <laughs> yeah. tribute to, but it's not great. Pillars is places. prettier, I'd say. Yeah, there's well, more. I think it's less it's less ambitious and... because yeah, we know how to do. Forests. Haunting fantasy forests with <laughs> yeah. interesting elven statuary sticking out of the ground, right? Like humanity yeah. has solved that problem. <laughs> they haven't. This this has the problem of like its ideas are so big, and it's like it's that it's that thing of like that like every everyone who's ever tried to do like um, sort of cosmic horror as a film or a, a game in a visual medium rather than a, just a purely literary medium hits this problem where it's like what you want to describe is like what what we want to be thinking about is like a trans-dimensional hypercube that when you look at um, 
you become aware of your own self split across infinite timelines and you see infinite versions of yourself staring back at you and and and, and all you know and in in one moment you're kind of dazzled by the 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 this true scope of time and causality but what that means is it glows blue <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> well, <laughs> like um the word the, the words do the heavy lifting to, yeah. to a huge degree and that's not you know i mean the game gets away with that i think but it's not its strength i think if it if it if it had i think maybe if it had a stronger art direction even if it was more abstract to like put even more emphasis on the words yeah. except for the fact that like a glue blow isn't a, a glue blow. A blue glow is never going to sell this to me. A glue yeah. blow is the alternate universe version of a blue glow. <laughs> it is, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's never going to sell this to me. I think if it looked amazing, it would probably push into that kind of nineties region. Yeah, but because there are moments where it's like, God bless it. It's it's just like yeah, that's just and the characters big... don't blend with the backgrounds very no. well. They're quite, and the animation's quite stiff. It's, stiff and, yeah, yeah, it's kind of it's not like my my last cast off is spent the last dozens of hours of my life running around in a very like a silver wetsuit yeah i think i've got one of them as well it's a lot of body suits yeah it's like a silver wetsuit with a big taser (laughs) and like i mean i'm and i'm I'm basically like you know i'm basically far future space jesus (laughs) but it just happens to be that i yeah i just wear a glistening wetsuit and that's happened you know that's just how i look and it looks a bit not silly but yeah i don't if you want if you want uh, customization or a sort of feeling of ownership over your character, this doesn't really... And not in terms of, I mean, visually, you can edit your character. You, you're, you're stuck with a, a, a face and stuff, whereas Pillars is more customi- customizable yeah, like you, outside you are, of the you, text. You, you determine whether the, the last kind of stuff is male or female. And yeah. that's it. You have a, a predefined look. Uh, you, 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 get, you have a, a gigantic amount of freedom to determine who they are personally, mm. but visually not. And, and I said this in the review, but one thing that I don't get, because there's very little voice acting in the game, a few key conversations only, yet they did record like barks for the last cast off. Yeah, I disabled those. Like, you can't disable all of them, I found. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, I feel like he, there was, he, before I uh, checked the option and options, he definitely was more vocal yeah seems to have quietened down a bit like quite yeah I, I think i checked that but it still annoys me every time he speaks because for some reason i don't know why that for the male last cast off at least they have recorded the most generic yeah. fantasy hero voice which is completely out i don't know what he, i don't know what he should sound like because because i felt about dragon age origins but yeah yeah just like there's no voice that fit. works like no. yeah um and uh, particularly only have a character that doesn't speak um otherwise Occasionally, this random man shouts, "I've updated my journal," <laughs> and you're like, "Who the fuck was that?" Yeah. Like, that's not the the soft-spoken, considerate seeker of knowledge that I am role-playing. Yeah. That's just some dude. Like, I'm going over there. Like, <laughs> so you can turn that off. There are there's an option in the menus to like reduce movement, movement barks, barks yeah. but it doesn't okay. stop everything. So I think one of the things it doesn't stop is like the level up bark or yeah. the "I've updated my journal" bark, which is quite a common one because the amount the journal updates. So it he goes. Did I learn that or remember that? Yeah, oh yeah. My God. Well, that sounds very. <laughs> sounds like that sounds Hater. very nineties as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. Well, um, that that that's uh, certainly intriguing. I've got it downloaded as well, so I'll uh, I'll yeah. give it a play and see give what it, happens to me. Like, give it. You need to set up some time in front of you. It's not like uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pop this on for half an hour before I go to bed. This is like <laughs> yeah. your Sunday afternoon. Yes, it does. And sit. I never play Planescape either. So no, you yeah. don't need you don't need to have done. Mm. If you get into it, you will be staying up very late. I was up till like two a.m. one night playing it, which I rarely do with games. I'm yeah. so absorbed in it. So, oh, cool. Careful. 
Okay, cool. So uh, in, in other games that you've been absorbed by recently, Andy, uh, Untold Stories? No, Stories, stories Untold. untold. Uh, yeah. This is a game by uh, a former UI designer on Alien Isolation yeah. um, and has a kind of VHS 80s aesthetic, uh, which is yeah. right in your bloody That's wheelhouse. That's the most Andy it? Kelly thing I've <laughs> yeah. ever heard. I saw it like, oh, for fuck's sake, he's going to have to review this one, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's um, by um, John McKellen. John McKellen, yeah, who works under No Code. I think he's, he works with like three other people. Um, wow, that would sound like Mr. Robot or something. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe, you know, I think because he's got an art background. You know, maybe that's the like, no code. I don't know. I should ask him about that. But um, <laughs> um, it's yeah. So he did a lot of the UI interface stuff in Alien. You know, the sort of retro futuristic um, uh, high tech, but not low fi high 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 technology. So mm. lots of VHS flickering and cool stuff like that. This game really has nothing in common with Alien Isolation apart from that. Um, it's kind of like an anthology of four interactive short stories. Um, all text-based. No, actually, the first the first one is... Um, it, they all revolve around this idea of sitting in front of various old computers and interacting with them and things happening in the room as you interact with them. So the first one is a text adventure. You know, you're sat in this very 70s-looking bedroom. You know, you've got a ZX Spectrum. Um on the table and like a buzzing CRT monitor and you're playing like a horror text adventure called The House Abandoned and it's like it's a very standard like parser based thing like go into a room look at you know thing um, but as you as stuff as you explore this house weird stuff starts happening in the room that reflects what's happening like the lights will flicker out, uh, go out or like you'll open a door in the game and then you'll see a light in the room you know as if the door behind you has just been opened by yourself it's all very mind bending mm, cool. um, so that's cool, but that was the one that they made as part of a um, game jam, I think, and it got a lot of buzz, and so they thought we'll make an anthology. Um, the other chats are totally different. One is it's very um, 70s sci-fi and vibe. Um, the second one, we're sort of in a la- laboratory um, experimenting on some weird artifact, okay. um, and so you're sort of referring to a manual and performing experiments by flicking on like switches and adjusting sine waves and like doing a sort of very 80s version of like an, a high-tech experiment. Like fly or reanimator or something. Yeah, it's very like that. It's got that kind of vibe, you know, and, and then the... Um, I can't really say where that's spoiling it because it pulls the rug out quite a lot and quite effectively, but it will get you settled into something and like really mess with your brain. Cool. In quite imaginative ways. Um, the third episode, which is my favourite, is you're in like a an Antarctic list, uh, an Arctic listening post. You know, you're in Greenland or something. That old um, one. Yeah, like X Files <coughs> series staple. <laughs> yeah, and you're sat, you know, in this like cabin. You know, one of like three listening posts in the, in the Arctic. Is Kurt know. Russell there. I mean. Yeah, well, outside that, you know, you can see the snow and like sort of a flag waving in the wind, and it, it's, the atmosphere is amazing. Like it's super atmospheric. And you're um, sort of tuning in a shortwave radio and picking up number stations, you know. Um, this is so you. It's I know, ridiculous. I know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> if, if you've never, if you don't know what number stations are, Google number stations and, and prepare to do some. Google uh, number stations at like half past two on a yeah. work day. <laughs> and before you know it, it'll be 5.30 and yeah. you will have just read 16 different Wikipedia entries about yeah. number stations it's before amazing. drifting into the real yeah. dark way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an amazing bit of like modern folklore that the game's sort of you. No one knows what number stations are, but this game sort of posits that you're the person receiving them and you've um, got a... I believe they're a plot device in the TV series Lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I say in my review that a lot of fiction has tried to take number stations and, and weave the story around them and, and always unsuccessful. It's always less interesting than the mystery. I think this this does it quite better than a lot of 
things that have tried to use number stations as a plot device. Mm. And I, it, it's I, never, met- I don't know how anything could be a more satisfactory explanation for number stations than updating the location of an island after someone's pushed the time-traveling donkey <laughs> wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Or um, six seasons yeah. of Lost uh, summed up in. I'm water. still angry. It's been ten years. <laughs> or compelled a soldier to kill JFK. That's another one. Yeah, Black Ops. Um, uh, but you, you're the person basically oh, yeah. receiving number stations. And you've got to keep referring to this sort of like um, guide to decode them, and it's like really well designed puzzles. So if you you listen to the numbers and work stuff out, and as you're doing that, stuff is happening in the story. You sort of learn what's ha- that something bad's happening in the world, and you're you know in the middle of nowhere, and you're hearing about it through the radio, and like. Um, you find out that you're involved in, in it somehow, and it's all super mysterious and Ooh. and creepy. That sounds um, great. I do like the idea the idea of a, a an anthology that experiments with different styles within the same game. Yeah. That's a great idea. And the the fourth one I won't say because it will spoil the story a bit. Um, but that's another gear change. You know, it, it's four hours long. You know, each one's about an hour, but it, it shifts in tone, and it, there is a linking thread throughout them, and it calls back previous episodes in quite clever ways. It's like super well constructed. Um, really smart, looks beautiful, and uh, the the retro aesthetic, which can easily be overcooked and be quite contrived, you know, when you've got yeah. indie, uh, you know, indie platformers with the VHS effect turned up to twenty and a, a, a vaguely Kavinsky s soundtrack. Yeah, Look, yeah. it's like the eighties. That's that, oh, like a weird color separation everywhere. <laughs> yeah, like a version of the eighties that never, only exists now. Uh, yeah. A weird like caricature of it. Um, <laughs> this actually that does that aesthetic super subtly, which would make sense considering the. You know, John McCann apparently spent four years working on Alien Isolation just doing that stuff. He was super immersed in that. In that <laughs> I thought um, you were going to say four years living in the 80s. Because <laughs> yeah. he was born in yeah. 1986. Well, I saw, I saw a picture of their the, uh, Creative Assembly's office and there was piles of Alien VHS tapes which he you know, fed through filters and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. this is all emulated. Though I, I, I interviewed, um, there's going to be an interview up on the website about the making of this. And he said that time-wise, he had to emulate a lot of these things. But um, if he had more time, he would have used a lot more like actual VHS transfer and cool stuff like that. Because it is a you know it's a small it's an indie game you know mm-hmm. made by a small team in quite a short amount of time. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I can't say the best bits without spoiling it. But basically, I think it's like six quid. That's amazing. It's definitely worth playing. It's like four hours of like really atmospheric horror well sci-fi. Um, um, it, the writing's uh, it's 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 fine. It's not like you know, a masterpiece of, of, of writing, but it is it does has some interesting ideas, there's some decent voice acting and it, it sort of um there's a br- a brilliantly creepy moment at the end of episodes three and four. Um that's uh, yeah, quite unexpected and sort of That sounds great. Yeah. I I, I daren't yeah. say more. Just just play it. It's weird and cool and and uh, interesting. Wow. Can't wait to check it out. Uh, okay, the other thing you've been playing then, Andy, is uh, Deus Ex's final DLC, and perhaps the final, um, yeah. uh, you know, kind of uh, Deus Ex anything will have for quite a few years now yeah. that the series is apparently going on hiatus, and Idos Montreal is working on a Guardians of the Galaxy game. So it's um, yeah. Mankind Divided's last episode. It's set in a prison, is that right? Yeah, it's so it begins after the events of Mankind Divided, hmm. and um, Jensen's getting sort of evaluated by the psychologist oh god it already um, sounds hackneyed as fuck <laughs> yeah. but really it's just a way for her, her to go so what really happened in your first mission for task force 29 and he goes well and then he reminisces and you play out his first mission which was um, posing as a prisoner and um, um, getting transferred to like a maximum security penitentiary which is you know those big mesas in um, New Mexico um, mm. it's built on top of one of those you know so there's no way down 
unless you slide down the mesa, which sounds quite fun. You can, you, or <laughs> if you can just happen to be able to fall infinite distances in a glowing halo of light. Yeah, well, you can't because <laughs> when you go in there um, to... This isn't connected. To, I think the worst thing about the DLC for Mankind Divided is it's not connected to the main story. It's a separate thing, so you've got, you know, your stuff doesn't carry over. When you get taken to the prison, they implant a chip in you that disables all your augmentations. Hmm. So you ain't got nothing when you start. So you also can't. Also known do, as a Metroid chip. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, I think you're punched by Ridley at the start and you just forget how to <laughs> yeah. fall off stuff. So you can't do any, anything. I think there is a. You can slowly get your powers back. It's the same as Missing Link, you know. Missing like you wake up and none of your powers work. Oh, I was, that was a really disappointing. Yeah, uh, yeah. but it yeah. kind of forces you to play a different way. Because um, by the end of both Idos Montreal Day Sex games, I settled on a playstyle and just relied on that the whole way. Whereas this is like I'm going to start again. Um, yeah, it's sort of like set in a you know penitentiary. It's a bit Shawshank Redemption. You go walk around the yard, talking to all these various tattooed aug- augmented criminals, um, and trying to you know you're trying to get to someone in the prison. Um, by but you know by covertly and so like Riddick then as well yeah I was going to say Riddick. yeah it's very like but yeah Butcher Bay um, super you know you get into lots of fights and stuff and it's like a really grim place and you can like trade booze for um, multi tools and stuff like that it's quite it's, <laughs> that is so dangerous yeah. <laughs> and you know there's tons of events as well of course, Adam, Adam Jensen would be the most amazing like prison mule because one of the one of the things orgs that you presumably can't switch off is the fact that he has storage in his body <laughs> yeah. like his yeah. fucking thighs open up and it's yeah. full of cigarettes <laughs> and beer cans exactly. yeah <laughs> But yeah, I've not, I've, I've not, um, I've not played much more than the first hour of it. So I'd be interested to see where it goes. That's my, that's my next, my next thing is to dig into that and see where the hell they take it. Uh, if, if I can sort of see it just becoming like you suddenly got all your powers back and it just becomes Deus Ex again, you know. I, I think this power, powerless phase is just at the start. But um, yeah, I'll. You can look for the review on the website uh, on Friday and yeah. find out what the hell it's like but so far it seems decent and initially grabbed grabbed me more than the system rift one which was the previous dlc which was a bit weak which is a bit more of the same and had a lot of recycled assets this is like a genuinely new feeling place and it's like daylight and sunny you know because you're in like the desert which is weird seeing adam jensen out in the sun he's still wearing his coat <laughs> no, no, he's wearing yeah, he's wearing a red uh, boiler. Oh, that's not so, good for his aesthetic, is no. it? Yeah. Does he still have his shades that he he does that are a part of his face? He can still use those, <laughs> yeah, despite his um, anti-og chip. But yeah, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. But I th- it's an intre- much visually more interesting than than um, System Rift, which uh, which has someone who spent a lot of time wandering around Prague. Uh, all I could see was just reused assets all over the place in that one. It the was... fountain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Specifically the fountain, yeah. There's a tiny fountain in, in the System Rift DLC. No, one, no normal human would notice this. There's a tiny fountain that I realized was the massive fountain from the main game shrunk down. <laughs> so even though the, the, it's got like the graffiti's tiny. So, <laughs> so tiny like, little Banksy. Yeah, there's someone here with a very fine marker and like tagged this fountain. But I, I can't blame him for that. I mean, like no normal human's going to notice that stuff. But um, No. But this feels a lot more um, handcrafted. Like it's, yeah. it's kind of a shame that, like, um, given the problems that uh, a lot of people, including us, had with the story of Mankind Divided, there's not some kind of epilogue DLC, particularly with them knowing that they're not going to do another one. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, he just uh, at the start of this DLC was um, someone just says, "Oh, what happened in London?" and that's it. That's the only acknowledgement of it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and uh, yeah, I was going to say something about, but I won't in case you haven't finished Mankind Divided. But yeah, 
ignore that. You know, yeah. people, anyone who has probably knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, finish Deus Ex yeah. Mankind Divided to know what happened in London. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did he go on the Millennium Eye? You know, did he? Uh, <laughs> did he? Did he get some yeah. lovely sausage and mash from uh, <laughs> that place in uh, Leicester Square? Come, it's called now. Garfunkel's. That's it. <laughs> you know what's interesting about it, actually the motion capture and voice acting is a bit better in this. Um, right. All right. And, and it's, I've noticed it getting slightly increasingly better in the DLC. And I noticed that the voice actor for Jensen tweets a lot about how that the motion capture has gotten better. Mm. So Jensen's way more like expressive mm. in this. Like there's more new uh, ticks and nuances in his face. He's not just a sort of you know neutral faced robot man. He's he's a bit more human, which so, is quite interesting. It seems a shame to get to that point and then go right. That's it. We're done yeah. with DSX for foreseeable future i can't really gonna work out what the sort of the thing was that led to it uh flopping whether it was just too long between the last two or if people had their fill with the first one or they were just people just went up for another deus ex maybe look too similar to the last one i mean they the whole black and gold thing all the screenshots don't make it look wildly different from mm. human revolution i can't work out what it is uh, yeah it's tricky one. It. i don't like i think what I wouldn't be surprised if it did about as well as Human Revolution, but that the forecast for it was higher. Right. Because yeah. I wasn't necessarily aware that it was a flop. Because I mean, I don't, I didn't necessarily even think of Human Revolution as a smash success. It was just more successful than most people expected, which is a very different thing, right? Yeah. Like, and I wonder if maybe this was one of those cases where, like, the game comes out and it's just more, you know, it was more popular than people expected. There was more demand for that game than expected, but that was like hit a certain level. And then, but turns out that's the number of people who really want their sex, and they all go out and buy Mankind Divided as well. Yeah. But if um, if they wanted their sex to become, you know, when they were talking about their sex universe, if they wanted this like mega franchise, um, well, the fact that they've subsequently gone on to work with Marvel suggests that they wanted they wanted some of that big yeah. marketable multimedia oh, franchise they probably Sorry, saw it becoming yeah. like Assassin's Creed yeah they wanted yeah. they wanted that and maybe Death Sex just isn't destined for that maybe it's no. it's not mass market enough it, it knows it is a very specific thing whereas if you think about like Dishonored's been very successful hmm. but you don't get the no one has ever said alright oh, well we're doing Dishonored 2 but that's going to be part of Dishonored Universe which is also included you know what I mean no one's ever yeah. tried to hang that kind of thing off it yeah because it would be obviously a mistake I think the second one uh, second Dishonored's only done Decent-ish, you know, yeah. Like, uh, but, but it will like, be like regarded for years. Yeah, as, it's yeah, one of those things yeah, that, like, yeah, I suspect yeah, as a publisher, because this exists in every industry. It's one of those prestige projects. Right. It's the thing that's going to get on Game of the Year awards. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And it, you know how how well it sells isn't really our problem, unless in the case of Deus Ex, it means that it's gone away. You know, and then it's something to kind of ask yeah. what is the what are the factors behind that. But um, yeah, they should give it to another dev. Like I thought, Idas Montreal did great work. You know, on mm. both those games. So I'd like to see another refresh. Maybe a new studio taking on Deus Ex and giving it another. I think with hmm. the Idos Montreal's vision of it, like two games is enough for that. I think but I'd like to see a, a new um, yeah. approach to it. Or even like uh, I mean, maybe once um, other side are done with System Shock Three, maybe Warren Spector would fancy having yeah, something it back. like that would be really interesting. Like yeah, but yeah, yeah, not... give it to Obsidian. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be interesting. Yeah, and it might not work great. <laughs> I'd play an isometric Deus Ex, like an Infinity Engine Deus Ex. That's Shadowrun. That's Shadowrun, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I mean, no, what I'm saying, I, I, I would want the, the Alpha Protocol sequel, basically. I want the yeah, I want the Alpha Protocol people to make Deus Ex. Were, uh, I, I, 
highly doubt there'll ever be another alpha protocol. Do you think if they announced that people would get excited? No, I would. So, yeah. I, uh, I want to find out what happened to Mike Thornton, yeah. the most normally named game man. The funny thing about that is, um, I don't know if you said this in the podcast, but Phil spelt his name wrong throughout his reinstall recently. Is it Thornton, rather? Yeah, every single time, and not one person complained because no one remembers his name. Yeah, I do. What sort of Thornton? It's it's big Thornton. Thornton. It's not Thornton. It's I Thornton. thought it was Thornton. The Why is he reason, called Thornton? The only reason I know that is because my name is Thurston, and everyone always spells that wrong because everyone thinks it's an O, not an E. So I'm kind of sensitive to Thornton names that people get wrong. <laughs> it's uh, a hard existence. Yeah, I find that game extre- extremely immersive for that reason. Wow, <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's. Um, I don't think the next Deus Ex necessarily has to be as kind of like high fidelity as uh, as as these games are. Um, you know, I mean, as impressive as it is to create an environment uh, like Prague, it, systems, a kind of systems-driven game in a more, you know, sort of like, I know, pared-down environment isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're just focusing on the systems. Maybe. Know? I mean, they, they sort of established with the most with the Eidos Montreal Deus Ex games that Deus Ex was about systems, but it was also about kind of like a spectacular vision of the future, like yeah. amazing graphic design, like the work that Jean-Jacques Bellatet did on, on, on making that game look extraordinary. And I think now people have forgotten that that was an amazing novelty when when mm. Human Revolution came out because Deus Ex traditionally looked like complete arse. Yeah, yeah, it was like, half the it was half the appeal, wasn't it? it was, yeah, like, it, it was such a swish-looking world. Yeah, old Deus Ex is like a lot of people who look like sticks of paparami and big coats running around <laughs> in a grey box shouting about the Illuminati. Like I love it, but that's what it is. But there are yeah. some there are some still some nice looking real world environments in in there, and uh, despite the fact that it's a real kind of grab bag of imagery in that yeah. game, it's uh, I think it's still I don't think it's still pretty in its own way. Like uh, and I I I quite like its iconography in the city environments. I, think, I, I don't know. Well, I think it was very successfully updated to look like 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 some almost every game of the nineties was like whatever genre it was by numbers really and Deus Ex was cyberpunk by numbers Mm -hmm. for its time and it it looked okay by the technology of the time but it was nice to see a developer come along and go no this is what our cyberpunk looks like yeah I agree with that and perhaps Andy that's why uh, your pitch for um, yeah someone stylistically reinventing Deus Ex isn't necessarily a bad thing because they can't just make it more they've set a precedent of every Deus Ex now it must be super intricate and complex and that will just make the game smaller like mm. the reason the original Deus Ex has four city hubs in it is because it's really flat and blocky whereas to make like two city even two city hubs with the fidelity of Prague is like impossible time budget wise probably yeah for the for what the shareholders would yeah. want to be like we're not they could take you know five years and make the most incredible double city Deus Ex but the yeah, they're like, nah, two years, you got to get one out. Yeah, so. and they still and they took five years just to make that one city, so, you know, yeah. that's, uh, yeah. Hey-ho, um, RIP Deus Ex. Yeah. And also, RIP Chris Thurston, who's... Uh, <laughs> I had Chris on this podcast today because uh, Chris is actually leaving us this week, um, yeah. so I, I kind of just, uh, for old time's sake, I mean, hey, the PC Gamer podcast died in your era, and then yeah, I brought I, it back, and then... Yeah, yeah resurrected it. So, yeah, I, I, I ran the PC Gamer podcast for 35 episodes, until 2013, when 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 it fell into shadow before being reclaimed <laughs> by Sam. Yeah, well, I just thought it would be a fun thing to bring back yeah, and nice uh, to... a nice, you know, it compliments the podcast that you make in your spare time as well. So, Indeed. yeah, um, no, it's cool. How do you uh, how are you kind of feeling about the whole? It's weird thing? because it, I, I it's, a, it's not a decision I made lightly. Like I've been a PC gamer for five and a half years, and this is like my first job in the industry, and you know, means I'd like. PCG will always mean a lot to me. I'll still be working for PCG. It's worth stressing. I'm going freelance. I'm not. I'm not. You know, uh, getting a job elsewhere. So I'll be contributing to the site and the magazine as a writer. 
um, and even possibly doing some editing and things. And you know, I'm just not going to be in the office, and I won't be a full-time member of staff. But I suspect that means more to us here in terms of practical reality than it does to someone who just reads the the to, website. To somebody who reads the magazine, though, I think it probably means slightly more. I know? think it does, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, because I, you know, the thing that the thing that's always made makes this such a hard decision to make is because it's like a family. It's like a fractious, hairy family. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a, a family with a lot of beards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, it's difficult to leave that. So, but yeah, no, um, it's exciting at the same time as being a little bit sad. Um, it, I think, uh, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see what comes next. And I'd like to do broader things within games and things and hard to do that as a, a full-time journal. So yeah, time to time to spread my wings a bit. And by spread my wings, I mean starve to death. You'll be right, Chris. Yeah. Or, I mean, sense in house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, I mean, maybe the more accurate version is I wanted to do exactly what I was doing now, but I didn't want to have to wear trousers. <laughs> and this is the way you achieve that. Well, you work from home a lot anyway, so I assumed you weren't wearing trousers in those instances. Um, I mean, it's it's a lottery if you were to come around suddenly. Um, <laughs> well, I was never going to check. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, at the moment I get that Slack chat, it's like, what are you wearing? That That is actually probably, that would be grounds for resignation on my part. So... <laughs> You know, either way, we were going to re-arrive at this eventuality. <laughs> did I not make this uh, this dramatic call? What was the first game you ever reviewed for PCG? Um, so the first, because um, I, I, I was thinking about this, because I um, my my career started at PCG. I started kind of by accident um, because I was doing a lot of work for Edge as a baby freelancer when I just started out. But one of the one of the weaknesses of working for Edge is nobody knows that you are doing that. Yeah. They're just totally anonymous. Um, and then I got a little bit of work for, for PC Gamer that started with a preview of Mountain Blade with Fire and Sword, which is one of the, the lesser, less popular Mountain Blade expansions. Um, and then a while after that, I ended up coming in to do a week's freelance in the office, and then I never left. Um, and I think the first thing I reviewed was either an Anno game, like those Blue Byte uh, city management games. Yeah. Or it was around the same time, Dear Esther, the first like big, like I say big, like two page review with lots of screenshots, it wasn't tucked away in a corner of the mag. Uh, and this was when the team was a lot bigger as well. So there was much more of a sense of a hierarchy in terms of who got to do what. The first like pages to myself review I did was Dear Esther. Wow. Um, and that was right at the beginning of the walking simulator era, right? That was when no one knew what the fuck this was and I think it was given to me because no one knew what the fuck it was. Is that before people wrote angry comments about every single one? Yeah, that was definitely before the it's not a game movement as well. Although, I mean, it was interesting debate in the office because, you know, it was also before PC Gamer had developed a vocabulary for talking about games as experiences. Like, yeah. we were, like, um, I remember having uh, a sort of a nervous argument with Deped Rich McCormick at the time. No, he was reviews editor at that time. Uh, because he really didn't think we could get through that review without making any jokes about it not having guns in it. And I was really set against doing that. The joke survived. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but it was that that phase, right? No one knew how to write about those games at that time, really. Like, yeah. there was no sense of, like, now, you know, like you were just talking about um, stories untold. Like, we're completely comfortable talking about games that are just, like, hour-long experiences or, like, a couple of hours and, like, not, like don't have multiplayer and don't have a story campaign and don't have all the, the bells and whistles and we, that can just be folded in to the discussion alongside lots of other games but that is definitely something that's changed in the five and a half years I've been doing this hmm. wow interesting yeah um, actually someone did uh, write in and ask um, who is your favourite boss in your time on PC Gamer so are you Sam oh that's very nice of you well, Chris but yeah, I mean it's probably the easiest answer to give with, uh, yeah. since I'm the only one in the room well you know it's all, everyone's been different I mean, from Ram Sorbets sent that in yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> With my mum, actually. 
um yeah yeah it's only a joke question you don't really have to go into into depth on no. like um compare I, chris can do a box out on it yeah i'll rank a... them <laughs> the I, I, i'd prefer to answer like which editors would i deploy in which situations because okay. they're extremely different interesting yeah yeah like because i guess the three with tim edwards graham smith and you and those are three extremely different personalities so yeah i mean we should just have arm wrestles me and the two of them to you'd see who would win that's you've picked an event you would win Sam. <laughs> do you know what i have you've picked an event you haven't picked being tall and scottish which graham would win <laughs> you know like you had options there you just didn't go for them yeah okay fair enough yeah um okay cool uh <laughs> Yeah, I sort of want to ask you other stuff about working on PCG. You can do, like, it's uh, not too self-indulgent, I don't know. No, I, mean, I, think, it, I think it's fine. I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast know what we're about anyway. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no I think we're, we're mega, mega wary of like inside baseball games journalism stuff. Oh, yeah, but I yeah. guess if there was ever a time to reflect on the way that this business has changed, then it would be when you... Uh, when you go home to take your pants off, which is, <laughs> like resigning sounds so serious. It's, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. So I think we worry about that. And actually, when we were doing issue three hundred and we did that thing on past issues of PCG, yeah, you I kinda, and I wrote that. Yeah. And even I was worried a little bit. Is that a little bit too indulgent? And then people were kind of like, oh no, you wasn't indulgent enough. Well, it's, like, there, there are very few like twenty-four-year-old games journalism outlets in the world, right? Yeah, it's true. Like. Um, PC Gamer has been around for a very, very long time. And that, 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 I think, is the thing that seems strangest is that, like, I've been through the, the whole arc of... Even when I've been frustrated or, or, you know, unsure about my progress or my path in life and the, what I've chosen, there have definitely been moments where I've been walking into work and thought, I write for that magazine I read when I was 10 years old. Yeah. And that's a really rad feeling, a strange thing to say goodbye to. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if there's anything... I don't know. Really. Well, I sort of, um, it's interesting because Tony Ellis at the moment, we're having a bit of an office clear out and he's going through every, Tony Ellis our production editor for people who don't know, he's yeah. been on PC Gamer forever. The unsung hero of British games journalism, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, for sure. And when we won an award, I called his name out deliberately because he's brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like uh, he's... cried it out into the air. <laughs> Tony! And I forgot to thank John, I'd say that, <laughs> and felt really bad. <laughs> the when the I, hardest working man in the world. <laughs> when MCV wrote up my speech, I uh, got them to rewrite it, so... <laughs> The history books will say, I thanked John Strike. Um, but yeah, History he's... is written by the winners of GMAs. <laughs> <laughs> and subsequently by MCV. Well, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's funny because he's going through all of his issues and looking at, like, um, uh, picking out one a year that represents, you know, kind of each one. And I thought straight away that, like, my, my first ever full issue on PC Game was the DayZ cover. Yeah. Um, which I remember being terrified you were shitting of. yourself. Yeah, I was, because I'd just left another game's journalism job and thought I was going to fuck up the magazine that I'd I'd loved for years and years. And then the, and the, our cover art was awful, in retrospect. Yeah. It was bad. And even at the time, I knew it was bad. Um, if that was that was a trial by fire in terms of things you can get away with on the cover of PC Gamer that no <laughs> other games mag can get away with. Yeah, it's like, true. Like, our bosses having to accept the fact that, no... This audience wants to see a picture of a man in a plaid shirt holding a hunting rifle, wearing a little hat. And having a completely blank face. They don't, they don't want to see Altair or, you know, they don't want to see Master Chief. Yeah. They want a man with a beard holding a sword in ancient Germany. <laughs> yeah, by the I mean, way, look forward just... to our Mountain Blade 2 cover coming yeah, next, yeah, okay. uh, next issue. Yeah, so. that DayZ one, they could have just had him, like, firing the gun or, like, looking a bit angry, like... Yeah. I mean, I'll always, I'll always, like, we've had that, we had that problem, I think, maybe more during your tenure, Sam. That's not your fault. It's just the way games changed. Like, yeah. the rise of Kickstarter and things, and all these, like, the rise of these huge audience beloved things yeah. that didn't have the kind of the traditional production values that produce like great magazine cover art like the one I will always adore is the Pillars of Eternity <laughs> cover I you going to say that yeah. where it's, it's um, Ada from that game but no one really knew who that character was at the time uh, but Ada's just a bloke just a bloke looks like someone's such a dragon farmer. character and he looked he looks uncannily like um, former 
future writer and now frontier PR man Michael Gapper, um, <laughs> which was a sort of a strange thing to notice. It was, it was just a bloke in a cape wearing chainmail on a cover. Yeah, I remember that for that cover. I got let down big time on, uh, and never ever forgave the person who let me down on uh, on a cover that I was meant to go through. And so we had to kind of figure out something last minute. And I'm really glad I did that Pillars cover because, like, that's absolutely the sort of game we should be put on the cover. Yeah, yeah. But the art, yeah, the art left a lot to be desired. <laughs> the, um, it felt like it was because I know, you know, I mean, my enjoying memory of the first six months to three years of your editorship sound <laughs> was trying to figure out when you were going to get fired because of what was on the cover of the magazine <laughs> we definitely set you up to fail because like I, I had been acting editor for three issues prior to in the gap between Graham Smith and you yeah and um, all three of those covers had kind of been things that we'd been working on for a long time so they because if you don't know how magazine craft works like these things come into place at different times yeah and um, and the final one um, that I did before you came in was like the worldwide reveal of Alien Isolation with the most amazing bit of art of um, like Amanda Ripley wearing her like you know space suit with like the alien reflected in it mm. and it was such a great piece of um, you know great visual great thing to be able to announce super cool game and then you arrive and the thing we'd set up in advance for month one is just a picture of a man in a plaid shirt on a brown wasteland Daisy <laughs> on in big letters that did do quite well it issue. did though yeah, so, it, was yeah issue, it, was, so. it was great yeah and, but I was, I was thinking of it because it was my favourite ever uh, one of my favourite ever features in there um, yeah. in retrospect I remember it being such a frantic thing to put together but like it was a cool feature um, the Daisy uh, team feature is I think one of the best team features PC Gamer has ever done like mm. um, possibly the best in my opinion like it's such a great story um, that's online, isn't it? We should definitely put a link to that. In there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea how it's sort of formatted with the new site and stuff. I believe sure I believe fine. it's fine because I dug it out relatively recently just because I was curious. It's still even got, I think, the embedded Twitch clips and things. Okay, cool. So it's it's worth reading through. So that's I'll the, link to it. In yeah, the, uh, that's the story of us yeah. being hunted by the internet across Daisy. It was a, a great experience. Yeah, as we <clears throat> as we did it, the the server address got passed around until people were joining the server just to. Yeah, it's, just to it's, find it's us. genuinely an amazing unplanned story with, yeah. with twists. And so that wasn't the betrayals. idea. It was just to get somewhere, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, it origi- became... originally the idea was that we would jump in and we'd join up with like Brian Hicks and a few other people from Bohemia who were working on the game, and they would like we would basically do a kind of live Twitch interview while having a bit of an adventure in the game. But then it was like that thing in in any kind of horror movie, like Jurassic Park or something, when suddenly like something goes wrong. In the in the in the theme park and like <laughs> like it was the you know Daisy developer getting fucking shot in the forest and like all of us running for our lives and like having to keep changing the route and me having to plan the route but not tell anyone because if I said it out loud Twitch would catch up with us so I couldn't say where we were going and I had to change our direction every couple of minutes to tap for the stream delay it was amazing just one of the best things I think I did at PC Gamer yeah that was incredible um, and like even I, the setup for that feature was just a nightmare I remember having to like spend an entire lunchtime running across the map just to meet you guys so when, I, when we all spawned in the same server we'd actually be next to each other Yeah, yeah. I just, just a, 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 an hour of virtual jogging it was just <laughs> like this is unbelievable but it was so worth it it yeah, was great yeah. especially because that was like month one for you as well this is yeah, becoming more yeah. like this was your life, Sam Roberts. <laughs> like, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, Chris. Yeah, that's all right, that's quite all right. Yeah, that's no, fine. Um, um, yeah, no, genuinely, it's one of the best, like, most fun things I think I've done. Yeah, I, there's a you know we were I know you were on the mag I guess two and a half years before me about that. I've been um, I, I started years, in I started in October 2011. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, so, is, that is a long time in PC gaming terms, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Well, like I mean, the thing that stood out to me that, that freaked me out is like when I joined. Like, I mean, I still am a huge Mass Effect fan, but like I was a I, that, that time I joined PC Gamer was like a 
bit of a kind of scary time for Mass Effect fan because it was like three months before the release of Mass Effect 3 mm. and I was terrified of having it spoiled for me because I loved that series so much I took time off to play it as soon as it came out because I didn't want someone in the office playing it mm. like I remember when I knew that Code had come in because Tom Francis reviewed it for us and he went I think home to play it um, but Andy didn't you review it yeah and didn't you review it in like one of the little cupboards that we used to play games I in? did yeah yeah because I remember because I didn't even know you at the time yeah. but I knew, someone mentioned like Andy's playing it in the cupboard and when they're making him keep the door closed and like <laughs> the sound down um, and I was so worried about it and then I played it and then I'm leaving and next month and we can say this I'm going to be reviewing Mass Effect Andromeda for PC Gamer mm. as, a, as probably my first thing for the site as, as a freelancer and it's sort of interesting my entire I've had an entire career in the time it took Bioware to make a Mass Effect game yeah yeah it's crazy it's taken them that long though right I mean it's yeah, actually yeah. five years yeah, just come making on, that follow up yeah. <laughs> although I've got no idea how they're going to structure it these days but um, in terms of like the amount of people it takes to actually get one of those things out the door because it seems like Andromeda is a much bigger ask uh, yeah, yeah. of a, you know environmental design I mean they thing, made they made a, a giant space RPG and I what, contributed to like 80 magazines I mean it's not that's true they probably win that's true, but in terms of like your sort of like uh, the satisfaction, your 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 kind of like feedback loop is probably much healthier than theirs because you have yeah. to wait. You just wait a month and a magazine's there. Yeah, uh, that, a sure. game it takes five years. Yeah, I'll still send you copies of the Mac, Chris. You can That's swing right. it anytime. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean it's, it's, I've had to remind you of this a lot, I think, but I'm not actually dying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to live. I'm going to live a mile and a half away, and uh, and you know, like it's not it's not goodbye. <laughs> That's very beautiful. Um, okay, then, cool. Well, uh, I, I, there's anything more to add, Chris? I guess I'll get into some no, just, you know, questions. Thanks to anyone who's read my stuff when I've been in-house and supported us particularly, because it does actually mean a lot that, to hear people like what we do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't just say that for myself, but for but for the team. Yes, indeed. That's very true. Uh, he's not speaking for me, though. <laughs> no, Andy he hates is. It. I'm Andy joking. Hates it. Just please, <laughs> please do not engage with Andy's content. <laughs> Okay, um, related to a question on a previous podcast, after you've rushed through a game in the name of the review you're doing, how often do you replay at your own pace and wish you could amend your review? That's Whoa. what Max says. So. Rush this, through the game? There's a sting in the tail of that. And that's basically <laughs> yeah. like, it's a bit like saying, after you've kind of rushed through some surgery, how often do you watch the patient walk out the hospital and think, shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, admittedly, I don't think rush is the right word, but you do play at a faster pace than you would yeah. normally. Is that just another way of saying rushing? No, <laughs> I think you dedicate more consistent time to things, certainly. Yeah. Like, you do, yeah. like, you dedicate more time to a side quest, you know, delving into a side quest if you weren't reviewing it. I think he's maybe. asking this because I said that maybe I'd increase my MGS5 score last week. I just had uh, a kind yeah, of throwaway yeah. comment. Um, so I don't think you know he's necessarily yeah. like he got it wrong, but like, oh, you yeah. know, just. I don't, I'm actually. I don't think I've ever like really kind of regretted a score I've given a game. Um, I don't. Or like not 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 truly regretted. Somewhere I thought a few points here or there, but nothing that I thought I got categorically wrong. Yeah, there were definitely times I thought I could do better, definitely. Um, but. Oh yeah, the writing I've regretted plenty. Of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anything from Stretching my first stuff. few years, I'm just um, like. Ugh. I think a few examples of this for me. Um, one, one where I became super cautious, of, uh, super conscious of that, and worried about it was I reviewed Assassin's Creed Three, and that was one of those games that I reviewed at pre-release, and I hated it. I thought it had real problems. And I loved, I loved Assassin's Creed. The, the, I loved the Assassin's Creed Two trilogy, right? The the Ezio games. Hmm. And I really didn't enjoy it. Um, I thought it was bloated and overstuffed, and the feature creep really started to set in. It's an awful game. Yeah, um, but oh. it wasn't kind of. 
I was a bit nervous, but I was a bit nervous about that because I had like, in the words of former PC gamer online editor Owen Smith, t- uh, uh, Owen Hill, sorry, Owen Smith now, totally poop socked it, um, in that I had played it all in like three days and tried to do almost everything, and I couldn't tell by the time I finished it and the credits rolled and that awful ending played, um, whether or not I fucking hated it because I played it wrong. Right. My my thought was like this might be someone's big Christmas game and it's the only game they get this year really or this this in this this couple of months and they're gonna love how big it is and they're gonna love having so much to do and it's gonna feel like a really valuable you know like a value packed thing and it's not though is it no. um, and so there was there was some going back and forth on that and then eventually I sort of stood with my decision to give it a bit of a kicking and that hasn't been wrong but it, it's definitely the theme he's talking about is like do you know does play, having to play games quickly affect your judgment. I think being conscious of it can as well. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. If that's ever happened to you, Andy? No. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> that's that's my answer. Fair oh, enough. For, for that's enough. the extent of it. All right, well, then we'll move on to the, the next question. <laughs> um, replay at my own pace. I kind of wonder if there is a, an element of regret there in terms of I wish I hadn't reviewed something. See, we talked about this a bit last week. Yeah. It's ultimate first world problem of, you know, uh, Phil reviewed... Uh, Dragon Age Inquisition and couldn't enjoy it in his spare time. Where you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, they say doctors and nurses have it tough, but hey. <laughs> um, okay, cool. Uh, I'll go into the next question. Then here's another question, not really games related, but I enjoy the tangents. What um, the office? Hang on, I'm after. He, he what? had uh, what the office lads' musical tastes. What are yeah. the office lads' <laughs> musical tastes? Do you put music on when you're playing games? Um, that is an interesting question. Certain games, I think I listen to music. I think you have to listen to music when you're playing Elite Dangerous. All that ferrying between. Like the, I, I, I do I, I like the in-game music, but it, it does. I, I yeah, like actually, even online, I always listen to Boards of Canada because that mm. just perfectly complements the mood of that game. That sort of like sort of sinister sci-fi sound. I think yeah, no, actually, I listen more, maybe more podcasts when I'm playing Elite because um, when you're sort of in super cruise mode, I do love that music. But when you've heard that tinkly. Super Cruise theme for the billionth time, you like a pop a podcast on, mm. but um, yeah, in MMOs as well. Like I, I often put my own music on. Remember when I was playing Daisy really heavily when I was right into it? I used to listen to the um, the soundtrack from The Road on Spotify, <laughs> which, which was better than the than the, the the Daisy had some like little bits of music, but I used to listen to that um, the Nick Cave and Warren Ellis score for The Road, which was accompanied it nicely for obvious reasons. Sort of desolate, apocalyptic vibe, mm. but yeah, yeah. Even I'm playing something like um, Grand Theft Auto, I don't tend to put um, custom soundtracks on because uh, yeah, you don't just, to, do yeah, the, yeah. And the world is sort of shaped by the musical choices that they made. That's yeah. why I was disappointed when um, San Andreas uh, was patched to have because the music licenses la- uh, lapsed. They took some of it out. Yeah, because I, I think it's I don't know it's just an essential part of the the impression you build of the world in the game. Yeah, yeah. I'll never play music over a game's score. Like I want uh, unless it's a game like that you're spending a ton of time in like an MMO mm. or the Elite or something but I, I, yeah like there are people who listen to like their own music while they're like playing you know The Witcher which just doesn't no, I don't yeah. get that at all doesn't complement the setting at all or just yeah Rocket League's a good example it's um, that's that 
the music in that just eventually drove me insane yeah. and like just that kind of I don't know who enjoys that sort of music. Just Ter- terrible music. <laughs> yeah, just horrible electro for yeah, like I don't know teenagers music or and, something. Yeah. yeah, that's another one I listen to my own music playing Rocket League. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying I listen to you know the Platoon soundtrack or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. It's Bit something that Sebastian fits. might. <laughs> remember on the original Series Dark seven. Souls, t- turning the music off and playing my own music when I was trying to beat the Capra Demon. Like I was listening to Curlis Whisper or something. I wanted something. <laughs> I wanted something totally incongruous and like relaxing. <laughs> and I finally did it because just the Dark Souls boss music is just like. The most intense. Yeah, it really. Especially when you step through the door to the Capra Demon, and it's right in the area of your face, and you hear the kind of choral kind of like scream. Yeah, and with um, surprisingly without what? that, and with the sax solo for Callus Whisperer, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's a lot less intimidating <laughs> when he rushes at you. The it music's kind of a massive part. That of kind that. of like the build of that of that sax. Um, line kind of fits with the kind of the, the grooving through the white smoke into the. There's something very eighties about those walls of white smoke. I think a bit like yeah. you know like. Um, Oh God, I've forgotten the name of the tonight, Michael. I'm going to be oh stars, yes. stars <laughs> like there's something you like. I knew you were thinking of that. Yeah, like emerging through that. Freddie Mercury comes for the blood star feast. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Gets rushed by a goat demon. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew Kelly dresses a goat demon, and rushes him, <laughs> fucking gores him to death. <laughs> Oh, uh, here, here was me thinking that question had no mileage in it. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. That was N. Brady Easton who asked that, um, who's in our Discord channel, uh, which I don't remember the address of, but I'll put in the description of this. Discord.gg slash PC Gamer. Cool. Come join our community. I started and ask hanging out in there. It's, it's cool. Yeah. Some nice people on there. In the magazine thread on our Discord channel, people just asked me about the differences between the UK and the US one. They're like, is the paper size different and all this stuff? And I'm like, no one asks about the content of the magazine, just how <laughs> but, different they are. But how long, how much of your life have you spent, A, resizing magazines, and B, wishing you could tell someone about the process <laughs> of resizing for American paper sizes? Well, uh, well A, weeks, and B, never. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question. <laughs> Okay, cool. Um, question, have you ever had to preview a game that you didn't want to? Lol. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, have you had to preview a game that you were super excited for but didn't want to spoil for yourself as uh, you still had to preview it? That was some S-stick man. You know, I had that recently where I had to go and play Mass Effect, the first hour of Mass Effect, which I would like to... If you're not going to do the PC Game of Weekender, you've got to go and play <laughs> Mass Effect. What a huge burden yeah. for you. <laughs> but, you know, I like to. I would have liked to have saved that, you know, and gone in blind, but, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it wasn't that great a first hour, so <laughs> wasn't messing out. Um, yeah, mm, yeah. I've I've got plenty of examples of games that I've previewed. I remember like one of the first things I previewed was this is a really random example was Stuntman Ignition. <laughs> I just remember thinking I have no feelings towards this game it's whatsoever. A good, good idea for a game though. I thought. Yeah, it Quite is interesting. Yeah, yeah but, but like, and the first one was like reflections, right? Yeah, it was just incredibly hard. But um, yeah, I don't know. It happens all the time. I mean, literally every every yeah. three. There's, there's just those moments. I think for me, it's always been like my big like sort of genre blind spots, which are like either sports, cars, or like particularly dense strategy, yeah. where you have to pretend that you're not just going. I'm sure this is fine, but I can't tell. Yeah. Like you know, just um, that's always nothing that I've had to preview because, I, but that I've just like because I've like hated it or something more that just feel completely out of my out of my. Yeah. depth with yeah I've had that with driving games before um, I have I've done E3 in Gamescom and there was a game I won't say what it is because it's not out yet and it's not quite fair mm, it's not quite fair I don't mm. think but it was so atrocious 
and I just I sat there through the demo and like I was just stabbing myself in the arm to stay awake because it was just such a obvious pile of crap that I just uh, I don't know it was occasion where I thought I've got nothing to say about this I was going to walk away from this feeling nothing and you know sometimes that happens and, yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, but it's fine it's not you know they're just trying to make something whatever but like um yeah, yeah, happens all the time. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to think if there's anything I was wary of of playing because of spoilers, but not really. I don't think I was a bit wary of. I think I did some Dragon Age Inquisition stuff, hmm. um, but that was okay. It's actually really exciting sometimes to see yeah. a game that you, uh, you you're excited at. You know that you're 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 really kind of anticipating playing. Like I remember seeing GTA Five for the first time and just you know seeing the world from inside an airplane when you're about to do a kind of parachute jump and just looking incredible and yeah, just yeah. seeing Franklin go down the mountains and you know all the detail pop in it was like holy crap that's amazing and so that doesn't necessarily spoil it if anything it just makes you more excited about it I remember I remember going to see Dishonored for the first time they showed it off properly mm. and obviously I like subsequently I, I fell deeply in love with that game and that world and, uh, and almost everything involved with it um, but that first look at it was proper that was quite early in my time PC Gamer as well Was that was proper like special like oh man this is a cool cool thing to get to see yeah. Alien Isolation was another one as well because they got us to play that at the moment they revealed it and that was a great yeah, play it's on rare as well. yeah it's rare I've heard people talk uh, about uh, reminisce about the Fallout 3 reveal being pretty amazing at E3 mm. well they showed the 10 penny tower stuff so they showed the whole quest where you go and you, you can blow up and oh you blow up Megaton oh yeah of course and yeah. apparently that was like before anyone knew anything about Fallout 3 to see that apparently everyone yeah. that came back that E3 was absolutely you know raving about it as being like one of the best demos they'd ever seen yeah yeah that did suddenly I do, I remember being in media around that time and mm. it did that was suddenly the game wasn't it because mm. I mean yeah. people were really excited because it was the Oblivion creators mm. next game but like uh, yeah yeah, I do remember that. E3 that's a good one to show, even if the rest of the game doesn't quite yeah. <laughs> live up to that. Yeah, that's still yeah, they didn't. They didn't show like forty minutes of Liam Neeson running across the <laughs> yeah. desert, shouting about water. Yeah, are you? Are they playing <laughs> the main character running about asking people, "Have you seen a middle-aged man?" <laughs> the least descriptive, uh... <laughs> hypothetically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that that game isn't brilliant, of course. No, of course, um, but yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's about it. I think that answers that question, doesn't it? Um, okay, cool. Um, what are your favourite urban legends and playground rumours about games before the internet came out and ruined it for all of us? Do you remember some of these? I remember one, but not about a PC game. I remember, but I did technically play on PC because I was emulating it, but it was um, Pokemon yeah. and that whole uh, clone and item thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember someone, a kid in the park, literally explained every element of how to do that. And I just I memorized it, went back and did it, and was like, "Holy shit, that actually worked!" And you find yeah. that missing no thing, and it was. I remember someone told me about the um, the W item glitch in school in Final Fantasy VII. Well, there's a materia called W item that does something I don't know what, but basically, if you use it in a fight, I think it lets you use an item twice, maybe. But if you there's a certain button combination you can press, and if you use it in a fight, it basically double duplicates an item in your inventory, mm. so you can go in and just tap it. And like instantly have ninety nine Geishal greens to breed a good Pokemon, uh, not a good Chocobo, <laughs> um, and yeah, like you could, and it basically ruined the game because you could give yourself like ninety nine X potions, ninety nine elixirs, and and like ruin it. And I remember someone told me and it worked, and I like finished Final Fantasy seven using it and felt really, really quite bad. Oh, I have a I have a friend who made up. Uh, you know how kids bullshit each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. 
There was a he was a kid at our school. Won't say his name, but he used to lie all the time, like some kids do. But yeah. one of his more elaborate lies was that he went to a gaming convention. He wasn't specific and fell behind a curtain where an old <laughs> an old man. This is amazing. <laughs> an old man told him how to get gold materia in Final Fantasy VII. I think it was. Which, <laughs> and then like uh, he made up all of this bullshit about how you could actually uh, <laughs> unlock it, and my friend tried it all, and then obviously it wasn't true. <laughs> But it was the it was the old man, the did wise that, old man. Did that kid that go was... to become a game journalist? Because that would be the best. <laughs> no, the sadly best not. Come no. here, my boy. Legend speaks of the gold material. <laughs> I think you only. I have the key. And I will share it with you. Jeff Keeley origins. <laughs> also, what, what gaming convention was even around in the UK in like 1997? Oh, I went whatever. to uh, Games Master Live in '93 yeah. or four. Right. Yeah, Birmingham NEC, Birmingham huh. NEC. I remember, yeah, Dominic Diamond being on the stage and looking at Sonic Two running on a big screen, wishing I had it. Wow, <laughs> that's I'm, a very early memory. I um, I think I've told this story either on the PC, old PC Gaming podcast or on the Crank Crowbar. So, apologies, people who heard it before. But when I was a kid, uh, me and my best friend were massively into Sonic, like a lot into Sonic mm. and the comics and stuff like that. Um, and I became convinced that it was possible in through some combination of the Sonic 3 and Knuckles cartridge swapping fuckery um, to um, to find a new character, um, Rankles, <laughs> who was the green Knuckles. <laughs> Rankles. Yeah, Rankles. And, and my, um, my, my best friend, who, who is now like a, an actual like fucking army major. Um, right, yeah. um, so his life's gone on a very different path. Um, like didn't believe me no one believed me uh, I couldn't prove it I had no uh, this is my fucking Fox Mulder moment like <laughs> this is my sister I, I would to never find in yeah, like, um, you know rank, like yeah I had a picture of my desk like you know this is what drove me for years as I, I was basically substantially gaslit by by, uh, by my friends about whether or not Rankles was real Rankles. Yeah, Rankles the echidna, right? <laughs> the green echidna. And um, I really earnestly believe this because I was so sure I'd seen a picture of it, right? Mm. Um, and I mentioned this, I think, years ago, like five years ago now on a, on a different podcast. And someone tweeted me with, like, a, one of those, like, proper old, like, magazine archive websites, you know, the old, like, you know, just HTML, GSS people used to maintain. Mm. And apparently there was, like, a Sega Power back page joke about Rankles the echidna that I must have read aged like seven or eight <laughs> yeah. thought, it was, thought real. it was real and I'd like my dad had thrown out the magazine or something so I could never find it again Yeah, and no one fucking believed me but and then apparently it's connected to something that there was sometimes a bug where Knuckles could be green like just because of I've like, heard that before yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and that they'd sort of stitch these things together and so actually it kind of made sense that I as a kid would think that was real because I didn't just totally make it up like a man behind a curtain didn't tell me to seek out <laughs> and then years later you wrote a back page that people took seriously yeah I've written, written several back pages that people have taken extremely seriously <laughs> the but yeah. Itself, yeah and then you know then I you know you know that, that that quest drew me to you know become a games journalist and then I got into this mysterious altercation with a cigarette smoking man and um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. some some bees yeah exactly. yeah like um, and um, just ran around being infuriatingly correct about everything for. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that the um, th- I might have heard about the ant missions, secret ant missions in Red Alert Counter Strike via playground rumors, but that was also true. Um, yeah, I can't really think of many more. I do um, remember someone saying that you could bring Iris back, which I think in Final Fantasy VII, which I think was a common urban legend. I do remember some idiot in my school lying about it and saying that he did it. 
yeah that he's on disc two and he's got Aerith in his party but well you can I think you can mod it on PCs yeah happens. and they did do in um, the future yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they did do dialogue for her in scenes after she dies yeah. suggesting they moved it around at some point but yeah, yeah. um um, I think I, 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 when I was very, very young, I, I did have one of those phases where kids just make a lot of shit up. I think. Oh uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, and um, one of them you remember Command and Conquer was a lot like friends, kids in school talking about playing the first Command and Conquer, and I had never played it, and didn't have it. Um, you know, didn't couldn't have a computer that could run it or anything like that. So I just tried to join in by making up the most egregious bollocks. <laughs> and I think I claimed that I, like, drove a jeep off a bridge and, like, like crashed into a nuclear reactor that won the game. And it's like, you can't do that in real Like, you can barely, like, I basically invented Just Cause. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> nice work, Chris. Yeah. Uh, while trying to impress fucking six-year-olds. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, all I've done subsequently is attempt to impress six-year-olds for the, <laughs> the last 30 years of my life. <laughs> 36-year-olds, Chris. Yeah. That's true. Um... Yeah, okay, yeah, that, I think that pretty much covers that. Uh, <laughs> I do remember, uh, actually I won't tell that because it's not PC related, so uh, technically it doesn't fall within the purview of this We just podcast. talked about Final Fantasy, Pokemon, Sonic, and... If Final Fantasy was on PC, that's fine. Oh, but like, Sonic's uh, on PC now? Yeah. Okay. Mega Drive Collection? Fine. Okay, I'll briefly, I'll briefly tell a story. It was in Link's Awakening where if you if you ran around the shopkeeper with an item like three times and ran out the store, that if you went back in... He'd electrocute you, and then you'd be branded thief for the rest of the That's game. That's true. That is true because yeah. it changes your name. All the characters say thief. Yeah. Instead of whatever your name was. And you can never wants. ever undo it. You have yeah. to start the game again if you want them to not yeah, do it. And it's, it's quite. It is quite nasty actually. Um, that's a good one. Uh, emulate that game and try it yourself, and don't tell Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, good. Well, that's the end of this podcast then. Um, goodbye, Chris, goodbye, and uh, thank you for the memories. And um, <laughs> I'm yes. not dying for the last time, Sam. I'm going over there. <laughs> yeah, I'm true. pointing vaguely in the direction of the part of Bath I live in. Yes, fair enough. Like uh, it'll be all right. Everything's gonna be fine. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I- are you praising the sun? Like <laughs> I'm stretching. Okay. And he just did something he's never ever done in the office before, and it, it, it bewildered. <laughs> like a sort of, I don't know. That was that was that was something. Yeah. Like, yeah. It gets you get quite stiff in the podcast. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, my uh, my like cheeks really hurt. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's the price of being a heavy man. Okay, that's the end of the podcast. We'll be back next week. Um, if you want to uh, join our Discord channel, Andy just said it's Discord.gg slash PC Gamer. Yes, and then our magazine. Uh, we have another one on sale on the 9th of March, which has Mountain Blade Two on the cover. It comes with a free. Uh, closed beta key for Gwent which is very nice and uh, yeah other stuff that we do I don't know the weekend is over now isn't it I don't yeah, have to yeah. that anymore website website pcgame.com you can mm-hmm. read the Torment review that we were discussing earlier as well as Andy's review of Stories Untold and not untold stories as I said Dad <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week bye forever <laughs> <laughs>